BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There's so much hype around Glossier. Like, what makes you sort of a believer in the brand? Well, the products are so pretty, and they really work, and they make me feel, like, pretty and nice and confident, and it's all, like, cruelty-free and whatnot, and I really appreciate that. And it's, like, affordable. Hey guys, welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the best-selling beauty products and the damn good stories behind them. We're your hosts, Carlene Higgins and Jill Dunn. Welcome back to Breaking Beauty, you guys. Hi, Jill. Hi, Carlene. So excited today. We are having a pinch me moment, pinching Uh each other right now. (laughs) And we are interviewing really the person who is at the top of her beauty Mm -hmm. game right now. And that is none other than Emily Weiss, founder and CEO of Glossier, which she's Founded three years ago this month. Mm-hmm. It's her birthday. And this is the most asked about, most requested, most buzzed about and copied uh, brand in the beauty business right now. And what's exciting is they also just launched in Canada. And we stopped by the pop-up here in Toronto a few weeks ago. And what you just heard in our cold opener, we tried to capture what the excitement level mm-hmm. was like at this pop-up. It was on Queen West. Where else would it be? Mm-hmm. And... We chatted with a few of them, and it was kind of like being outside of a Taylor Swift concert. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of women. I myself waited in line 45 minutes to just take a peek inside. Yeah, and I think it really speaks to the emotional connection with this brand, particularly with millennial women and, you know, young Gen Zers. Um, You don't get that with most other brands. You just don't. And here we are talking to Michelle, who um, went in and checked out the pop-up, and this was her impression after she came out. I feel like they put a lot of thought into everything that was going on. It kind of felt like a dream a little bit with all, like, the pink, like, the pink sheer curtains and the mirrors. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I think I'm probably twice (laughs) Michelle's age. But I was not immune to that mm-hmm. magic myself. Mm-hmm. I went inside and I purchased Boy Brow and I purchased Cloud Paint. And what'd you think? I just what did you think of the products? Well, I had not tried either of them, and mm-hmm. Boy Brow is their number one bestseller, and I loved it. It's a brow sort of pomade and color and brow groomer all in mm-hmm. one. There's four different ones. There's clear, there's blonde, there's brown, there's black. Mm -hmm. And I have been a fan of Benefit Gimme Brow for many years. And Mm -hmm. this is a similar kind of thing. Yeah. Um, But it has almost like a little bit of a volumizing element. It's almost like a hair product for your brows. Yeah. I felt like when I used it, it really hooked, like latched onto my hairs and pulled them up Yeah, in a way instead of just like brushing over them. So it really did feel like a grooming. I still need to fill in a bit though. I'm not going to abandoned my Chanel, you know, 
palette quite yet, but for these girls with like the lush brows, that this is great. But you also tried the cloud paint, right? Yes. Which you let me play with a bit. Yeah, the cloud paint, there's four colors. It's kind of a gel cream. A little goes a long way. Yeah. And it gives this ethereal sort of glow. Um, I think that whole notion is that you're doing that in the back of an Uber as well. Quickly make yourself look alive. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was what a lot of women were buying that day as well. Yeah, I like the sheer matte lipstick too. I I always talk about how I'm such a big fan of mattes. It's my first time playing with the sheer matte, but I did like it. I kind of like it better than glosses. I find if glosses are too shiny, it like brings out the shine in my nose and other areas of the face. I've never noticed that. Um, But yeah, I like that kind of subdued finish. I think it was really pretty. But zooming out just a little bit, Mm -hmm. Glossier launched like I mentioned, in October 2014. Think Mm -hmm. about that for a moment. There's not a magazine you pick up these days that doesn't have Glossier in the beauty section. Mm -hmm. They only had four products at the time. It was called Phase One, and it was Bomb.com, which was sort of an all-over face and lip balm, priming moisturizer, soothing face mist, and skin tint. Yeah, she coined the whole skin first, makeup second philosophy. But I mean, I think the packaging, you know, speaking of being in magazines and being all over Instagram, obviously the packaging is a huge part of this story. It's just so visually pleasing. It's pink and white. There's like a slight apothecary feel to it. And it's just like something that you want to, you get and you want to take a picture and like post it on your social. Not to mention she packaged it in these pink bubble envelopes. And that was the, that was the first, it seems like it's everywhere now, but you know, she was the first one to have that idea. Mm -hmm. Everything's under $30. Mm -hmm. And I have the priming moisturizer right here. The one thing I would say about, um, the price points is I do think it's an accurate reflection of the ingredients that are Mm -hmm. available in this moisturizer. You know, it's it's shea butter. Yeah. It's not playing with like these big time like AHAs, glycolic acid. No, it's not anti-aging at all. It's Mm -hmm. just a soothing priming moisturizer. There's no silicones in it. Mm -hmm. And it has glycerin in it and um, a couple peptides, but they're sort of toward the um, end of the ingredient list. So she's not reinventing the wheel with ingredients, which Mm -hmm. is one thing I think people should know about the brand is like that is reflected in the price points. Right. Well, she does say like she what she sought to do was create these utilitarian products that were kind of back to basics, you know, she didn't want to overdo it on anything. And, you know, to that point, I think this is another whole side to the story that we're going to be talking about today. There's just so much to say. I know. So we're we're going Um, on here, guys, but there's a lot to get into. But the, the whole business model, I mean, you can't not talk about it. She's been like on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine and like Forbes and WWD, like every other beauty brand now is chasing this model, which is this digitally native. Um, That's my line. Digitally sorry. native. Do it. Do it, girl. <laughs> you know, I love a jargon. Let me throw the <laughs> jargon in here. It's digitally native, vertically mm-hmm. inter- vertically integrated. See, I can't even say it. Digitally native, vertically integrated brand, which is essentially this content meets commerce model yeah. where everything is direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. You, you, There's no bricks and mortar retail necessarily. Yeah. And so that is what everyone has their yeah. eye on Emily for. Well, also the idea of the storytelling, you know, that they do themselves, yes. which all came out of Into the Gloss. So yeah. going backwards a few steps... You know, she started out in magazines. I think that's why she's a pro storyteller visually and just when you hear her talking. 
And she started out at Vogue and W Magazine. She was interning. She was working in the fashion department. Eventually, she kind of dumped those gigs. And in 2010, she started her own beauty blog, Mm -hmm. Into the Gloss. Yeah, there was a bit of overlap where she worked at Vogue. Mm -hmm. But the Into the Gloss, I love when she says this. I have read her saying before that she was sick of beauty sort of being the ugly stepsister. Mm -hmm. She wanted it to be front and center, have its own place, meeting place, if you will. She had contacts. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think, you know, putting on her entrepreneurial hat, she saw a white space really. But she was able to land New York's elite and go into their bathrooms and shoot, you know, what was on their top shelf, which ended up kind of going viral. She also didn't know how to use a camera. She picked one up and sort of was self-taught, ended up doing this bright flash that made everything look blurred and beautiful, that kind of Warhol style, which you would then see Cavatur pick up a few a few years and, oh later. And on every other, you know, outlet out there. After that, yeah. yeah. And she was only 25 at the time. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy to think of. Yeah. She's a creative thinker, yeah. I think, is the point we're trying to get to here yeah. and how you can bring that level of creativity into the business space. Yeah. And that's what all of these other brands are now backpedaling. How yeah. can we do, how can we get away from these like hyper retouched ads and actually connect with people? That's right. And disruptor, ooh, kind of yeah. makes me yeah. cringe to use the word because it's so overused. Mm-hmm. But it, absolutely applies to her because mm-hmm. what other what other beauty brand founder is on the cover of Entrepreneur yeah. on Forbes.com? She's also in Vogue this month. Yeah. That's all about the fragrance coming though. Can you imagine? You. Can imagine if you're an intern at Vogue and years later you are you are a, you're a subject of a profile in the magazine that you walked away from. Yeah. Just give yourself a pat on the back. That's that kind point. of kind of the dream right there. Yeah. But Glossier U, the yeah. that fragrance is, you know, we didn't really get the scoop on that. Go Vogue got the scoop. But <laughs> it she says she wants it to smell like your boyfriend's neck after he's been wearing cologne for eight hours. Sounds sexy. Honestly, we could go on and on here, but I think people really want to hear from Emily herself. So at this point, we're going to turn it over, starting with where her passion for beauty came from in the first place. I'm Emily Weiss, and I'm the founder and CEO of Glossier, based in New York City. I guess my earliest product memories are probably of... Uh, my grandmother's Clinique gift with purchases. I feel like she lived for a gift with purchase and I benefited from her, from her hauls. Uh, and then I think I remember going to Target or as we like to say, Target um, in the States to make it a little fancier. They had a whole selection of lip smackers in all different flavors. And you remember they used to do those great collaborations with like Coca-Cola and Pepsi. So there were like these like soft drink flavored lip smackers. And then in high school, I think the brand and the products that really had the biggest impact on me was Stila. And it was Stila in its original iteration, because now they've gone through several changes of ownership. But Stila back in the day, around like 2000, I think it was founded in 96 or 98. But in 2000, I was probably 15. And there was a counter, a Stila counter that was like my church. And I would go worship at the altar of the Stila counter because what Janine Lobel did, which was really clever, was she understood that beauty is, I think, much more of a, uh, a psych, like a beauty brand appeals to more of a psychographic than a demographic. So 
you know, with, with Stila, she, I remember, I, I have the privilege of knowing her, and I remember she very explicitly told me, you know, who doesn't want to, who doesn't feel like a girl sometimes, you know? You can be a, a woman of any age, but there's still a girl kind of, you know, deep down. And Stila had the most incredible quality products and such, like, brilliant color theory. You know, they found it, they had kitten eyeshadow, and they had this really cool way of doing, like, um what are they called, like toilet paper roll kind of cartons for all the, like, you know, all the, all the eyeshadows. And it was just so clever. And she had an illustrator drawing all these little drawings and it was, it was just very playful. And to have a luxury brand that had really high quality products, but was also so irreverent and playful, I found to be really, really inspiring. Emily was not an A-plus student. And you hear this about a lot of really successful entrepreneurs. And here's what she had to say about that. I remember, you know, when I was in fifth grade, I think it was around maybe eight or nine or 10 years old, I created a whole beauty company. Uh, And by company, I mean, it was like me baking clay jewelry in my mom's oven and like stinking up the house and then selling it at a craft fair in my elementary school and creating all of this branding and collateral around this jewelry company called Clay Creations and More. And God knows what the creation, what the more was. Like, I, there was no more. It was just Clay Creations. And uh, I just I just always love to, to, to make things. Um, and, and so the struggle in, in high school and in school was really just that I was going a million miles a minute, so interested in so much design and fashion industry and... I just wanted to get out. I just wanted to, I was like, why am I here? Why am I in this classroom? Why? And of course I learned, you know, many things, but I think if I were to think about what has taught me the most, it's been the experiences I've had working and that can be working as a hostess and the things I learned there about patience and organization and keeping your cool uh, and hospitality, which is influencing a lot of our offline strategy at Glossier. And, and also my internships that I had starting at 15 at Ralph Lauren in the city in the design you know room through to my first job out of college at W and then and then Vogue. I think of the world as the classroom, I guess, more so than traditional education. Okay, reality TV show break. Does anybody out there remember Emily Weiss from her days on The Hills? I'm obsessed with reality shows. I loved The Hills when it was on, big fan. And, you know, when Emily was interning at Teen Vogue, she appeared on three episodes. Of course you went there. Oh, yeah, I did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Emily, but... I had to had, I had to. to ask her. Um, and you know what? And she was a really good sport about it, and she had a really good sense of humor and some fond memories about it, too. It's incredible, the memory that people that people have. And also, these shows are getting syndicated just forever. And The Hills, I mean, great show, you know? Um, I remember that time, and it was such a you know, specific time in, in, in the world of media, the whole reality. I feel like that was the height of reality... TV about fashion, about, you know, working in fashion. Uh, usually it's, usually it's via tweets. So usually I'll get like a, like watching at Emily W. Weiss on the Hills right now. And it'll be someone from like Australia. And then I'll know that there's a rerun happening. It's interesting because I, 
really learned so much from being at Teen Vogue. I was there for three years. It was all basically all of my college experience. I was I was interning at Teen Vogue. And it's incredible what you learn from traditional media, as you both know, with, with your backgrounds, it, when it comes to storytelling and content creation and being able to create a uh, narrative and an arc and produce things that, that really entertain people. It's, it's, it, it was an incredible training ground. So after interning and then acting as a fashion assistant and a styling assistant, Emily started Into the Gloss in 2010, and she would work from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. every morning on the blog before she went to work for about a year. She launched with just one story, and I read that she said she wanted to have three stories every week minimum. So as we know, the top shelf was extremely popular, and she'd go into those bathrooms and dig around and find out what they were using. So we asked Emily whose bathroom was the craziest that she ever came upon. Khloe Kardashian had the most beautiful bathroom, and their glam room is just beyond, if that kind of counts. I think in a way it counts as an extension of, of, of your bathroom. And the French actress Léa Seydoux had this incredible apartment in Paris with uh, a bathroom that was overflowing with product. If there is a definition of a beauty junkie, her name would be just right there. And it's and it's and it's interesting because she had told me in the interview prior to me going into her bathroom that she was low maintenance. And it's interesting because I hear this phrase all the time, and it's almost become this thing that's ingrained in us as women to be somewhat ashamed or self-conscious about what we do and why, and the extent to what we to how what we do, why we do it, with with when it comes to beauty. Like you need to look really great, but don't talk about what it took to look this great. And I think one of the things that Into the Gloss did so well was start to break that stigma by saying this is actually a really great way to have more authorship over your life and your routine and be able to share your opinions with other women who could benefit from or benefit slash be entertained slash, you know, learn something new from what you know. And I think Into the Gloss came at a time when there was this pivot from brand or brand-appointed expert rules, knowledge, what have you, to the customer, and into this era that we're in now where everyone is her own expert. And because of where social media is at, be it Instagram or YouTube or whatever, reviews, reviews on Sephora.com, reviews on Amazon... Every woman is her own expert, and she's really controlling uh, which beauty brands, which products win, and why. So being editors ourselves, we had to ask, and we were very curious about which Into the Gloss story got the most clicks um, in the blog's history. And she told us it was, do you remember this? Yep. So it's about how to give yourself a Brazilian wax. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> I know, can't even imagine attempting that. Yeah. It's a brave new world. I mean, there's being your own expert, and then there's just being like silly. <laughs> 
Apparently just two or three people now run the site. She's obviously stepped back a little bit as she's much more involved in Glossier. I read in Fashion Magazine that the site also stopped selling advertisements about a year ago. She sees it as a way to communicate that two-way street um, with her potential Glossier customers and beauty lovers. And I think there's still over 2 million unique visitors per month from around the globe. Yeah, that's impressive. And it was obviously the genesis for Glossier. Just ahead, Emily's going to explain how she made the leap from beauty editor to beauty founder. So I'm 32 now. I think I was 20, I don't know, three years ago, late 20s. And the idea came about in around 2013, because that's when I remember I went out into the big bad world of venture capital and started to try and raise money for this crazy, crazy idea uh, of a beauty company that listened to its customers (laughs) and, and engaged with them. And I just kept thinking, you know, I, I feel so distant from so many of these companies. I might really appreciate a product from one of these companies, but generally it's not all of their products. Generally it's one or two hero products. Um, because there's just so much stuff out there. And I also just don't know what these brands stand for because so many of them are, are you know, no longer founder-led or just become so commercial or, or, or kind of so much in an ivory tower dict- dictating, you know, what, what to do or what's cool, charging a lot of money for things that maybe perhaps don't need to be that expensive. There were so many observations that I'd had in the years of running the website and and in talking to to so many women that's what I did it into the gloss it was like you know 3 years of market kind of research and so the conversation that I wanted to create with into the gloss and bringing that conversation around beauty to the forefront really naturally evolved into I wonder you know if it's possible to create this modern beauty company that's incredibly inclusive and I wonder if you can do that strictly through digital. I wonder if you can, you know, not rely on retailers who would potentially distort your brand message or tell you, dictate what you need to make as a brand, which many of them do, but be able to say, let's write our own rules here. Let's pretend like there were never a beauty brand before. Let's just start from, let's just clean slate here. What do women want? And, and that is very much how, you know, we've gotten here and how we've built the company. And, you know, we've had 600% growth year over year for, for three years. And majority of, of customers find out about us from existing customers, not through big splashy marketing campaigns or anything like that, but really from just the integrity of the product and how we do things um, that, that women are really excited about it. Our product philosophy, I think, is like pretty simple, which isn't necessarily always the sexiest thing, according to beauty brands. A lot of products that crossed my desk when I was an editor, a beauty editor, were very overwrought, lots of bells and whistles, very heavy, lots of claims about, you know, ingredients harvested on mountaintops by fairies and sleds and, you know, unicorns sprinkling dust everywhere. And I didn't really respond to that marketing speak. I am you know, a busy lady like we all are who really enjoys when they discover something awesome and want to take care of their skin and play with makeup. Like it's, it's not that complicated. 
there's been so much talk about this brand yeah. and so many young women sharing their personal experiences with these products. Yeah, what they're liking, what they're not. Yeah, on buns and all different kinds of chat forums and in the comments on Into the Gloss. There's a lot of, a lot written about Emily in entrepreneurial magazines, yeah. on Forbes.com and on the front page of Women's Wear Daily, which yeah. is that industry Bible. Yeah, there's like just as much ink about the whole business side of things. Both sides, I would say, are equally juicy. You know, one of the things that that I found as a young entrepreneur is that women are reticent to talk about money. It's a little bit of a, a, a sort of a thing that I want to help break. Um, and so I've written about our funding on Into the Gloss. There's a whole story up there about, you know, what it took to raise our Series B last year, which was the largest Series B raised by a female CEO in all of 2016. We raised $24 million. And... You know, going back to 2013 when I raised two million uh, seed round led by Kirsten Green in um, San Francisco of 400 ventures, times were very different. Um, even though the beauty industry is a 400 trillion dollar global sector, it's a huge industry. Venture capitalists didn't really had never really played there. They 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 weren't really tapping into it, which I find sort of shocking. It's like, it's, it's a, it's great business. And the other thing that hadn't happened is anything with Glossier. I mean, I literally had a, you know, a spreadsheet and, and a very excited smile. It was just an idea. That's tricky to, to pitch to people. I needed to, to really get my ducks in a row. I mean, it's funny because today I joke that Next time I have a high-powered meeting, I want to wear like an Armani suit, like tailored, do a whole suit thing. And and our our president, Glossier Henry, who came from venture capital, was like, Emily, I don't think you understand. Like venture capitalists wear hoodie sweatshirts and like Patagonia like fleeces. Like you do not need to wear a suit. You can literally wear jeans and like your like pajamas. Like it, it does not matter. So I didn't do that, but um, I did need to to build, as any entrepreneur does, a very compelling argument for how the industry is changing, uh, what the market size is, um, really just like why women will care. Why do why do I believe that women will care and that this will uh, matter to her? And it was a very grueling process convincing convincing people of that. I got a lot of no's uh, that first time, and the second time when we raised our A, I got mostly no's, and then we raised our B, I got like 12 out of 12 yeses, which was a a great feeling. Um, But that's not just because of Glossier. That's because of the power of women. I mean, the beauty beauty industry is, I mean, look at who's shopping for beauty. Look at who's driving social media. Look at the majority of users on Instagram and and, and on Facebook are women. Spending power of women has been well proven. So there's a a sort of massive democratization of beauty that's happening, I, I hope in part led by platforms like Into the Gloss and companies like Glossier. And I think the people in charge, even though I would say the customers actually in charge, are starting to realize that. Of course, I was very intimidated. And, and uh, anytime it's your baby, it's like your kid. It's like if you take your kid to try out for you know, school or try to get into their preschool or I don't, I don't know. In New York, people are, this happens. Like you have to, I don't have kids yet, but you know, apparently the school application process is bananas. And that's a little bit like how I felt. It was like, you know, please believe in me. And that's always, I think being vulnerable is always really, really, uh, really hard, but very formative. 
so she had a lot of people giving her advice. And I just really wanted to know, how does she cut through that clutter as a new entrepreneur and stick to her vision? Mm -hmm. And so we asked her, looking back, what was some of the worst advice that she received starting this business? Worst advice? Um, Don't do it. I remember distinctly someone saying <clears throat> with Into the Gloss, why would you do that? A, blog, a beauty blog? You work at Vogue. Why would you start a beauty blog? So didn't I didn't listen. <laughs> but I didn't listen. Quite frankly, she could have come out with a luxury niche line of beauty products with like $100 price points, but she didn't do that. Nobody would have even blinked an eye. No. They would have been been like ha- happily handing over their money. Yeah. So just let that like sit for a second. What does that really say? I think it's really key. I grew up at a time when, which has been all the time since like the modern day beauty industry has existed, where I was taught to believe that price is synonymous with quality and that price is synonymous with luxury. Meaning if a cream costs $300, surely it must be better. It must be the best than a cream that costs $60. And that cream at $60 must be much better than the cream that costs $30. And what I learned through getting to know the beauty industry is that's all just marketing. Sure, it costs, you know, depending on which materials you're using, which raw ingredients. Of course, you can you can make your cost of goods quite quite high, and then you have to think about margins and all of that. But generally speaking, uh, that is much more of just a mindset, mental sort of knee jerk reaction from even myself for many years, uh, who wanted the best and so would pay as much as I could pay in order to get the best that was out there. So. It's true that into the gloss, I think if you know because of because many of the women who we profile are quite successful in their respective industries, uh, they probably have you know relatively high household incomes and they probably can afford to spend you know quite a bit of money on beauty products. And if you were to add up any top shelf, it'd probably be in the you know upper hundreds of dollars. But that also is just really inaccessible for for most women and. And I wanted to build a brand that everyone could really enjoy, but that was a luxury brand. So I think what's, what Glossier is doing and what we, we are, were able to do and are going to continue to do is break down those preconceived notions by creating the best quality things that are pretty affordable. Um, so we're somewhere, you know, above, we're between mass and prestige, we're, I guess, mastige. It's like, you know, a little, probably around the same lines as like a Clinique, maybe a little bit, a little bit more, um, probably about the same. And uh, our Priming Moisturizer Rich, for example, is in the low $30 US and I think is superior than most $300 creams I've ever tried. Um, and certainly the ingredients are comparable. Uh, so I think that's that's really important for us. It was interesting. She uses utilitarian to mm-hmm. describe her products. Yeah. Functional but beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's where the real genius lies when it comes to Glossier, if you ask me. I mean, she's delivering high design, good quality at low prices. We're talking like the Ikea sweet spot here. I mean, you could just laugh yourself straight to the bank with this formula. Right. But even better because with Glossier, you've got this emotional connection. Yeah. Emily calls it connective tissue. It's what links customers to the brand. So Mm -hmm. they're really a part of it. Yeah. 
Well, probably the biggest example of this connection would be the crowdsourcing of some of their products. That's like a monumental moment in beauty history right there. Oftentimes I'll read emails or I'll read DMs or comments that are, hey, can you please make a blush, let's say, and we will just be about to launching a blush. So it's funny. I think we kind of are like psychically connected with, I mean, it's, I mean, a lot of it is because we're pretty connected and we're, you know, emailing her and, and, and asking her a lot of questions on platforms like Into the Gloss. Um, but we're really on the same wavelength. And there are some products that we into, into it, in tune. I don't know what that word is. Um, kind of like a medium, you know, with them where we just kind of know like a boy brow, for example. And then there are other products like milky jelly where we just are really like having an internal debate ourselves. Like, you know, should we make where we want to make a cleanser, but we're sort of torn between an exfoliating cleanser, something that's, you know, maybe a little bit more for brightening and evening, or do we make a cleanser that's better for taking off makeup and is more gentle? And so we'll say, well, let's extend it to the group because I do believe our customers are an extension of our team. Like we're all co-conspirators in, in, in this thing. Um, and so that led to Milky Jelly Cleanser with, you know, thousands of comments across several platforms on what should be your dream face wash. So it's it's really a, an art and a science. I mean, women have asked us for a Glossier deodorant. Um, they've asked us for a Glossier toothpaste. Uh, it's interesting. I think when women think of Glossier, they're thinking really of a lifestyle and they're thinking of their bathroom, at least if not the world, through kind of Glossier colored glasses. Like I don't just want my... Um, incredible priming moisturizer, but I want you to make what I see as being banal into something quite beautiful, something enjoyable, whether that's a tampon or a toothbrush or a deodorant. I just want to continue to make amazing things that make people really happy. Well, one of my favorite things to do as a beauty editor, I'm just always reading about who's doing what and sneaking around on buns and things like that. And not too long ago, I noticed Volition Mm -hmm. and they crowdsource what their customers are doing Mm -hmm. and what they're looking for. And -hmm. guess what? Bringing it to market. ASAP. Sound familiar? Yeah, Emily was definitely ahead of the game on this one. And and by the way, as a sidebar, I love that about you, Jill. You're like... (laughs) The beauty researcher. <laughs> you could just see her now at 4 a.m. She's just like down this wormhole in her jammies. And she's just like, what? I can't believe this is happening. Um, I really keep you in the loop, don't I? <laughs> anyway, you know, she talks about um, the corporate culture and how at Glossy, it's really not about like an and us, we work here, and them, the customer, like she has always maintained from the beginning that the customer is the employee and vice versa. Right. And, you know, it's it's remained a little bit quiet, but you'll notice on Instagram these Glossier ambassadors. Mm-hmm. It's like a referral reward program. Mm-hmm. And when I reviewed the Body Hero Mm-hmm. products on my YouTube channel. Check mm-hmm. it out, you guys. A lot of the comments were from people who are in the, this program saying, use my use my keyword or my, my name to mm. get 20% off. Right. And it's kind of like a newer, cooler, fresher incarnation of Mary Kay or Avon. 
Avon yeah. or where it was peer to peer buying. Yeah, I wonder what they get. I wonder if they do they get just get a discount themselves or do they get a check? They in their they probably account? do get some kind of commission. I mean, we yeah. we're gonna ask we ask Emily a little bit about that. And I mean, they maintain a lot that they don't pay influencers and yes. they don't pay people to place products, which is mm-hmm. very unusual. Also, mm-hmm. so this is just a next evolution in in how they're changing the game and seeing, hey, people are selling our products, word of mouth, why aren't they getting a kickback for that? You know, we're really proud and and excited about the ecosystem that we're building. We live in an Amazon world. The customer, especially millennial customer and Gen Z is spending most of her time online, whether that's watching original content programming on Netflix or shopping or looking at social media platforms. And uh, brands that adapt to that channel or are founded on that channel are the only ones that are going to be around. It's interesting because... uh, you know, when I think about Avon, and granted, I, I wasn't there. I mean, I know Avon's still still around and alive and well. But when I think about the sort of Tupperware model, Tupperware party model, it's funny because at the time, the best way to communicate with your friends was to, I guess, call them on the phone one to one or have them all over all together in a group. Fast forward 2017, you can Instagram story live uh, to hundreds of thousands, millions, 50, however many people discover that, that, that live all at once. And that's your living room now. Like that's how you're connecting with people is through, through user generated content. Uh, user generated content and our customers have been the biggest reason for our success to date. Um, they love the product. We have like a super high repeat rate. People are coming back, they're replenishing and, we are formalizing that in, in, in different ways and bringing her closer. I like to think, you know, if you're a woman who just wants to get your priming moisturizer every two months, you can just subscribe and doesn't want to hear from us, doesn't want our emails, doesn't want our, you know, Instagram. I don't know why they're pretty funny, but mm-hmm. she can just subscribe and have that auto delivered to her and, and be, and that's her, the, the end of her engagement with the brand. And that's fine. It's totally great. I'm happy she likes the product. Uh, but we also have a sort of um, ladder of, of engagement across different channels all the way up to our reps and creators who are rewarded to create content for us. And those are not, you know, influencers in the sense that they are Kim Kardashians or Kylie's or, you know, even people with hundreds of thousands of followers, but they're very influential in their groups of friends. Um, you know, you might have... 150 followers on Instagram, but they're all following you for a reason. They want to see what you care about. So you, by definition, are an influencer to them. And so we really see all of our customers as influencers to varying degrees. And if they want to participate more or the most, I should say, with our brand and create content on our platform, on our channels, we're organizing ways for her to do that and get rewarded. I wonder what it's actually like to work at Glossier, though. Um, they did invite us to stop by the showroom in Manhattan, so we will do that. Maybe we can volunteer to intern. To do oh, – yeah, I actually would. I'd probably learn a lot. I know, I know I would learn a lot. All stuff bags. I just want to be – I just want to see what's happening. Um, you know, I, yeah, I want to see all these mood boards that she talks mm-hmm. about. That They still have the original mood board true. in their office that Emily had in her apartment when yeah. she was dreaming up Glossier. So, cool. so I want to see that. Um, they're expanding really fast. They just celebrated their third birthday. As we said, they now have 120 people on staff. 
um, including in their office in Montreal. And they're expanding into the UK and to, into France as well. Mm-hmm. And when, when I chatted with Emily's executive assistant, Morgan Von Steen, mm-hmm. Emily always has posts on her Instagram stories, hashtag the Daily Morgan. Hey, mm-hmm. Morgan. Um, but she basically said that she worked in the same building as Emily when mm-hmm. she was an internet fashionista. Yeah. And she got an intro to her. And then she just really admired her from far from afar for a while. And mm-hmm. when they got funding, she was just like, that's it. I got to go work for this girl. Yeah. So she is inspiring legions of customers, Emily is, but also mm-hmm. inspiring a whole new generation of women and in business that mm-hmm. want to you know, be part of this process and are yeah. excited about it. I think she said most of her employees are women, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we asked Emily, what does it take to work at Glossier? To be honest, I think resumes are, I, I don't know, I don't really look at them that much. Um, I do, I like to have them in a meeting for context, but I really value and love an in-person meeting. Um, and I love uh, a, if I can't interview someone and I interview every single person we hire um, before we hire them, if I can't do it in person, I always do a FaceTime. I think human-to-human connection in this crazy digital world of ours is, is super important as our tangible experiences and, and, and things. The most impressive thing I've seen from a candidate, though, some of the things that hit my desk are, are incredible from you know presentations people make and kind of mail and mail in. Um, but I'm always most impressed when someone can tell me what value they think they could add to the business. And the answers can vary widely, but it's usually something that isn't necessarily it's not like, yes, hire me for this job. I can do this job. It's like, but tell me why. Like, let's really get into this. Like, what are you going to bring to this? Um, and I think when someone shows that they can not only just do the job on paper, because that changes so fast, like we're growing like crazy. So you're not going to be doing the same thing that you came in to do in, you know, a couple months, but it's when they can really show that they're going to be a positive impact on our culture that I really sit up and take notice. You're going to build Glossier's way of doing things above and beyond just doing your job. We know a lot about Glossier right now, don't we, Carleen? Yeah, we could write the encyclopedia entry. Um, but I think people want to know about Emily too, right? The creator. And yeah, I, I thought she was really wonderful when we met her. Yeah, she was gorgeous. I will admit I was a little bit intimidated. I kind of had that feeling in my belly, like when I interview a celebrity, like, oh, I'm just intimidated because she's such a pretty person, like honestly comes in looking like an actress, you know, just like the perfect 501s. You're like, where'd you get those? Like camel coat, Victorian blouse, sneakers, and like her hair is just so silky. Yeah. You know, and so I would just kind of like... Perfect skin as well. Oh, yeah. So, And then we're in this Polaroid picture together, and she's in the middle with her arms draped around us, just like so casual, and I'm like half a foot away. (laughs) (laughs) um, No, I think it's a cute photo. But it's funny you mentioned that because we asked Emily what the one thing is that a lot of people don't know about her, and, you know, it kind of stumped her. So in that case, we... Um, asked Morgan, who was in the room with her, and got her to weigh in. I think you come off a lot more serious than you actually are. Because, like, I think you're a lot, like, goofier, sillier than I think people expect, more than I expected. I'm kind of, what you see is what you get. Like, me on Instagram is kind of the same as me in real life, is the same as me at work. I'm mad silly. It's actually true. Um, I'm also, I think people don't realize that I'm actually really nerdy. 
I get the cool girl thing. I mean, she does look like a model. Mm-hmm. She, though, in person is very, very approachable. Yeah, she totally, she sat down with us. She's like, how long have you guys been doing this? You know, she was great. And I think to that point, I think people do want to know more about her and also how she looks so great. So yeah. we did ask her some questions about what her self-care routine is like. I recently took up Vedic meditation. So I try meditate at least once a day for 20 minutes in the morning when I wake up and hopefully 20 minutes in the afternoon, but that one's a lot harder. Um, I also love baths. I take, I take a bath almost every night, especially in the winter or like when it's not hot out. I usually do it with either Epsom salt and half a box of Arm & Hammer baking soda or um, I'll do Himalayan sea salt that I buy in bulk. I just bought a 55-pound delivery of Himalayan sea salt. We also asked her about her favorite beauty hacks. One that I recently have taken up is spraying my beauty blender with rose water mist, with um, soothing face mist, instead of just usually like running it under the sink. It just smells wonderful. Um, another beauty hack with Glossier products... Mm, oh, I blend together puff and beam of cloud paint uh, to make my own custom blush color. I joke that this brand is like a cult, but really it's like a giant girls club. It's where people are trading these types of tips and, you know, what they're loving. And I think that's really one of the points that Emily wanted to make with Glossier is like you in the past would go into a drugstore, let's say, pick up a mascara, buy it. You have no idea who the founder is, where it's from, what it's about, really. And no one's ever like, let me tell you about Maybelline. She was a real character. Yeah, Mabel. (laughs) Until our podcast came along. That's That's actually why we created it. We wanted to bring a human face and, you know, tell some of these stories outside of just the products. And I think that's what she's done. You know, she's, she's given Glossier a soul. And on that note, to really honor that idea, we are going to close it out with a few questions from her biggest fans. What it's like yeah. to be a girl in the makeup industry. Normally it's like a lot of guys dominated yeah. in the CEO kind of position. Well, it's interesting. I mean, L'Oreal has a male CEO, Estee Lauder has a male CEO, but the majority of beauty brands that those companies own are founded by women. Mm-hmm. So generally the, the woman is the CEO for, you know, it seems like if I just did a quick, at a quick glance, the woman is the CEO for a while. Uh, and maybe once the company gets bought or sold or time, enough time goes by somehow, you know, the female founders end up going away. I don't have any plans to, to go away anytime soon. Um, so it feels great. I mean, I love being a girl. I love being a woman. Yeah, it feels great. <laughs> Where do you see Glossier in 10 years? I see Glossier in 10 years as being a truly global beauty company, not just a beauty brand, uh, not a niche brand, n- not just a U.S. brand, but I really see it being that a 13-year-old girl in the Middle East can have a G sweatshirt and share that connection with a 70-year-old woman in Silicon Valley who's wearing the same sweatshirt. Um, I see it being this truly global connective tissue that uh, powers women all around the world. 
Thanks for tuning in. Visit breakingbeauty.ca to sign up for our newsletter and every episode will be delivered direct to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And be sure to subscribe to us. There's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast fix. And if you're up for it, show your love by writing a review in iTunes. 